And this is where I feel like the greatest disconnect is when discussing what it means to fear God, both with believers and non-believers alike. We hear that word fear, and we immediately jump to the type of fear that we commonly think of in the modern context. And another example of a way in which we misapply a modern definition to what is rightly a, a biblical understanding is, for example, the statement, God is love. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to an average account of exceptional things. My name is Chandler, and I am your host. Thanks for joining us today. So, welcome back from the Thanksgiving holiday. For those of you who celebrated it this past week, if you did celebrate the holiday, I hope that you spent some great time with family or friends. So, getting right into it, this week we are going to be discussing a very heavy topic, fearing God. Now, a lot of times I feel like people have a misconception about this idea of fearing God. It's just so easy to jump right to that imagery of fire and brimstone, which then immediately gives way to the point that God is loving. And as a result, I feel like it can be really just a bit frustrating a bit confusing for people when we read verses that specifically mention fearing God or the fear of the Lord. So with that said, my hope is that this discussion in this week's episode can help clear up some of those common misconceptions about how fearing God relates to us as regular old people, which can be super helpful both in the study of and the application of Scripture. But that was a hefty lead-in, so let's just go ahead and get right into it. So I think before we can really talk about why it's important to fear God, the first question that we need to address is, what does it mean to fear God? Now, one common stance on this that I hear quite frequently is that fearing God just means respecting God. And I feel strongly that this is not really the most accurate definition. Now let's make something very clear here. Many of the people that I hear voicing this interpretation of the meaning of fearing God are fellow Christians. And this is not meant as an attack on them. If you've held this belief or you currently hold that belief, this is not an attack on you either. And I would even venture to say that in most cases, if I were to have a conversation with those people, we would actually hold pretty close to the same beliefs about how we are to fear God, what that means, and what it actually looks like. But where I personally disagree is with the statement that fearing God means respecting God. Because I don't believe that respecting God and fearing God are the same, meaning that it would then be incorrect to equate them with one another. For that reason, I find that this definition is just sort of 
incomplete. So if you will stick with me while we elaborate a little further about that. So it is a good and right thing to respect God. I have no disagreement or argument with that at all. But respecting God is only a part of reverently fearing God. And you'll notice that I slipped that word reverent in there as well. I think that this really goes a long way towards demonstrating the key point here. Fearing God goes a lot deeper than respect in the way that we approach respect in modern terms. In a lot of ways, respect has become more of a common social courtesy today. I mean, really, just stop and think about it for a second. If someone is disrespectful to you, for most of us, that sort of takes you by surprise a little bit. You know, it's not the expected behavior. It's not the norm in a lot of situations. In fact, treating someone with a common respect is the norm in many places, and that's a good thing. And even going deeper than that, you know, I'm blessed with a number of people that I personally really respect. One example being my natural father. I have a lot of respect for him, and I value his thoughts and his opinions highly. But if there was a matter of serious importance that I could not get behind his opinions or his desires on, I might pursue a course of action contrary to his wishes. And this is sort of jumping into the next point, moving from not just the way that we see respect in today's world, but also the way in which you know respect can be really incomplete in describing what is, is really more rightly, I believe, called reverence towards God. You know, for instance, if my natural father asked me to do something that was contrary to God's commandments, maybe we're standing around and he says, hey, see that thing over there? Go steal that thing. And let me be perfectly clear here. I'm only using this as an example because I'm confident that my father would not do something like this. But, you know, for the sake of of argument, let's say that he did. Well, if that happened, I would go against his wishes and refuse to steal whatever it is. Why? Because I'm putting my faith in God, meaning that I answer to the Lord first and foremost ahead of anyone or anything else. That's friends, family, boss, doesn't matter. I respect my father. I have a lot of respect for my father. As much as almost any other person. But I have reverence towards God. And those two things are really sort of on different levels from each other. I think that we can see this illustrated very well and very clearly in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me 
cannot be my disciple. So it's not that we should be actually hating our father or our mother or our wife and children or any of these people that are listed here. But we can't put anything ahead of Christ as the number one priority in our lives. Yes, that means that we should love the Lord more than we love even our own families. And in the context of respect versus reverence, it isn't that we shouldn't respect individuals, but in the same way that our love for our family and for others should stand in stark contrast as being less than our love for God, the amount of devotion and, if you want to use this word, respect that we have towards God needs to be astronomically greater than the devotion that we have towards anyone or anything else. So there is that incredibly intense devotion as a component of reverence, as well as an awe that comes with simply the understanding of God as the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect God of everything that is, was, or will be. But that's not all of it. There's also the admittedly less fun part of fearing God that we don't always like to talk about. I think that this is best illustrated by the following verses. Psalm 130 verses 3 and 4 say this, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. There's actually something incredibly humbling about the understanding that it is really just God's incredible mercy and forgiveness that stands between us and the eternal punishment that we deserve as the consequence for our sins. I think that it's really easy to focus on the fact that we are forgiven and that God is loving, particularly because that's the sort of thing we want to hear and talk about. It's very uplifting and encouraging, and rightfully so. It should be a very uplifting, encouraging thing. But let's also not forget to take our daily dose of humble and remember that What we get as a result of Christ's love for us is the absolute opposite from what we rightly deserve. And we've done absolutely nothing to bring about that salvation of our own ability. We don't have the power to save ourselves. And that's something that we've discussed uh, throughout various episodes on this podcast. I would definitely encourage you to check some of those out uh, if you haven't. I think it's well worth a listen. But just think about that for a second. God's mercy is what changes our trajectory from eternal punishment to eternal joy. If that makes you feel kind of like a small fish, that's not necessarily a bad thing. For example... 
God could strike me down at this moment. It's completely within his divine power to do so, and it is not within my power to do even the slightest thing to stop him. The fact that I'm still here isn't evidence that God can't do that, but it is evidence that he chooses not to. That's not me trying to tempt the Lord, but it does highlight a very important point. I'm not saying that we should all walk around terrified that we will be smote at any given moment. But I do believe that the reality of God's might and our powerlessness isn't necessarily a bad thing to be aware of, particularly in those moments when we're really tempted to get a little too big for our britches, so to speak. And here I'd actually like to go ahead and read another passage, this time from Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So obviously, for context, the him referred to in these verses is God. And again, this is not meant to strike terror into the hearts of believers. But I know that for me, when I read verses like that, any temptations that I might have had towards irreverence are squashed in quick fashion. And for believers, there is ultimate peace in knowing that our sins are washed clean through Christ's sacrifice. But it's still another reminder of how empty our own righteousness and our own power is. I mean, that well of pride really just dries up fast. So that's an example of where I believe that sort of healthy fear, and I do believe that fear is the right word, comes into play. So now let's put it all together. We've talked about reverence and we've talked about fear. So if we combine those understandings, we get reverent fear, which is the type of fear that we should have for the Lord. It's not terror. And it's not what many of us think when we first think about fear. This is something very different. And this is where I feel like the greatest disconnect is when discussing what it means to fear God, both with believers and non-believers alike. We hear that word fear, and we immediately jump to the type of fear that we commonly think of in the modern context. And another example of a way in which we misapply a modern definition to what is rightly a, a biblical understanding is, for example, the statement, God is love. It's something that I've heard thrown about a lot uh, and 
and shared a lot and not wrongly. You know, this is a truthful statement, but I see it used oftentimes as sort of an excuse or as a way of of a defense saying, no, you need to you need to be in support of this thing because God is love. We should accept this or we should overlook this because God is love. And you know, I see modern definitions of love. We have we've conflated lust and infatuation with what love is. And truly our, our modern definition of love in a secular sense is very different and in many cases a twisted version from biblical definitions and examples of love that we can see in scripture. And so then when we say God is love or we think about that phrase God is love, we think about love as it is in the world today. And then we take that and we wrongly ascribe those characteristics to God. We approach it backwards. We say, this is what I can look in the world and see that love is. Therefore, if God is love, these must be the things that God stands for. When instead, we should be coming at it from the other side. I know that God is love, and I know that these are God's commandments, and this is the character of God clearly laid out in Scripture, demonstrated time and time again. And therefore, I can know what love truly is. And in the same way, I feel that there are many misconceptions about fearing God that stem from a similar situation. Often, we think about fear like fear in a scary movie. Fear in the sense that I might be afraid that someone's going to break into my house in the night. Fear of someone or something that is coming to hurt us. That's what we think of. But unlike these fears, which are very bad and potentially even unhealthy, a reverent fear of God is a good thing to have. It feels weird to say that fear is good to have, but in some instances it's true. You know, I don't do the Cupid shuffle on the ledge of a cliff because I fear falling over. That's a healthy fear. But what sets this reverent fear of God apart from fear as we know it in a more secular sense? Well, in this case, I find that the understanding of God as our Heavenly Father is a great starting point. Think of it like the relationship with a natural father. Now, for some people, unfortunately, that relationship is broken and painful. Some children have experienced abuse at the hands of a parent, and that is a truly horrible thing. The sort of fear that might come through an abusive parent is the same fear that we may first think of, that fear of impending harm, of danger to a person's health or safety. And that sort of situation is awful, unhealthy, 
and detestable, to say the least. But now step back and consider a healthy relationship between a parent and a child. A father, in this case, and a child. The natural father has the ability and the right to discipline the child, whether that is a light spanking, time out, early bedtime, a grounding from a favorite game or toy, you name it. But the father doesn't just punish his child just because. Nor does the father derive some sort of sadistic pleasure from sending his child to time out. When the child's out of line, the father responds with forgiveness, patience, and also an appropriate punishment as a tool for the child's learning and growth. The child doesn't walk around terrified. He or she loves their father, and their father loves them. Now, this is a relationship between a parent and a child in both cases. But the difference lies in the character of the parents. While the father, in the second example, takes action centered in love for the child and their growth, the father in the first does not share that same motivation. So now, take this illustration of a natural father and amplify it an infinite number of times to the level of God as our Heavenly Father. And bear with me because I am aware that every analogy falls apart at some level or another. We hear, fear the Lord, and our mind paints the picture immediately of an unjust and tyrannical God that we should quake in our boots from, just waiting for the day that he's going to call our number, which is the entirely wrong idea. Instead, our relationship with God is like that of the child and the good and just father. God does not take some sort of sadistic pleasure in making us suffer, as in the false, twisted picture that we're tempted to paint. Instead, he works things to the good of our growth spiritually. And when we sin and fall short, he is right there, ready with forgiveness. And sometimes there are still hard, unpleasant lessons to be learned, a great example of which is the natural consequences that our sin often leads to in this physical world. But even still, we can have faith, trusting and knowing that God is working those situations for our growth and for our good. So I hope that that illustration helps with the understanding of what exactly that difference is between a wrong, unhealthy fear of God based on an incorrect understanding of who he is and what a good and healthy reverent fear of God is. So to sum it up, I would say that we should not be afraid of God, 
but we should have a reverent fear towards God. I know that sounds perhaps a bit contradictory, but I hope that in light of all the discussion that has led up to this, that that makes some sense. So that was a lot of discussion just to answer what started out as a seemingly straightforward question. What does it mean to fear God? And while I'd planned to discuss some of the ways that fearing the Lord helps us grow in our faith and why it's so important in this episode, we've already spent such a length of time in this deep discussion just establishing that very important understanding of what fearing God looks like. So, you know, we're going to go ahead and call a little bit of an audible here and just go ahead and make this topic a two-part episode because this is such an important topic that I want to make sure that we have all the time we need to really get in there with discussion and do it justice. So with that in mind, as we're looking forward towards next week's discussion about how fearing God relates to Christian living in application, I want to go ahead and leave you with one more verse And I will say as well that it's one of my personal favorites. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I hope that something we've discussed today has been helpful to you in your personal understanding or your personal study of this topic. And I look forward to jumping back into all of this next week with some wonderful discussion about application. But with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. (music) 